Hey everyone, welcome to the midweek where we take the sermon from Sunday and unpack it more so we can grow to know and look more like Jesus. I'm your host, Melissa Fennell, and with me is my co-host, Jake Blair. Hey, hey. Jake. How's How are we doing? Going? And we're once again joined by Pastor Michael Bailey from Midtown Lexington. Back to back. Hey, Let's go. he's back, y'all. I'm here. I'm here. <laughs> How was your weekend? It was good. It was good. My daughter turned three. So we celebrated her this weekend. Uh, That was a lot of fun. Uh, She had a unicorn-themed tea party with her friends from our life group. It was absolutely adorable. She loved it. Uh, and then we, you know, did our typical like birthday blessing celebration stuff that we do um, on Sunday, and so it was it was a really sweet time. It was fun. That's awesome. That's yeah, man, it was cool. Unicorns are really big right now. What's the deal with that? <laughs> That's a good question. I don't bro. feel like they were know. big when we were kids. Uh, it feels like it's more culturally no. embraced. Uh, Am I off on don't that? Don't you remember what, what were those like? Uh, My Little Pony. Well, My Little Pony, yes, but also those folders that you would the, get like, for trapper Lisa keepers. Frank. Lisa Frank. Lisa oh, yeah. Frank was all about the unicorn, man. Oh, yeah. I guess. And I dolphins. Know. And dolphins, yeah. And kittens. Uh, yeah, because my girls are like all about unicorns. And I'm, uh, for me, I'm thinking, did, where did this come from? Mm-hmm. But apparently it's always been a thing. Always been a thing. I think wow. so. I do think so. No, I wasn't as obsessed with unicorns, but I did enjoy them. <laughs> I always wanted one. You dabbled one. from time to time. <laughs> <laughs> I always wanted one. <laughs> Melly, I'm so glad that we can talk about this on air. Uh, you dropped a bomb on us Uh-oh. that crushed me uh, when you asked, what's a show note and how does one use it? Because here I've, I've been for the last year making show notes for people saying resources are in the show notes. And then you say, so what's that now? This would not be the first time I have dropped a bomb. It will mm-hmm. not be the last. Mm-hmm. I also yeah, we'll get still can't later. figure out how to read it correctly on the app on my computer. Okay. So if you're on Spotify, mm-hmm. Spotify does not do show notes well. Good to know. Okay. But if you're on iTunes or mm-hmm. most any other podcast app, if you get to the album artwork and you just swipe, then there's all the show notes with the links and the resources. That's great. Do you believe me? I do believe you. Okay. I'm going to keep listening to my Spotify app on my computer. <laughs> but for everyone else out there, that is how you get there. There That you is go. so funny. Do you listen to other podcasts that have show notes that you've ever tried to or have referenced things and said, hey, we're going to drop this in the show notes? And you have you ever like looked for anything or even had that experience? <laughs> have you heard that phrase? I've the, heard like, it on the, the Midtown notes. Midweek, yes. Ah. Melissa... <laughs> How many other podcasts do you listen to? This is a good question. (laughs) Okay, listen, I don't listen to a lot. I sometimes will listen to like true crime or... They probably won't have show notes there. Yeah, they don't have show notes there. And honestly, I wouldn't want to look at their show notes. Right. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, Or like more fiction type podcasts. Fair enough. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm glad... That the midweek at least has made it into your Thank rotation. You. And we've introduced you to the world of show notes. Yes. Now, Bailey, They're- you're familiar with show notes, right? Oh, yeah. I, I love them. Okay. I, am, uh, I eat them up. All right. I am a connoisseur of clicking on the <laughs> okay, show notes. That sounds like I'm- a stretch. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So uh, I guess next steps, repentance for you looks like. First of all. I am not going to repent of not knowing how to find the show notes. <laughs> well, you know now. So are you going to do it? Are you going to act on this knowledge that you've received? That's true. Okay. They're we're, usually very we're crossing a line here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, 
All right. Well, <laughs> TBD. TBD. <laughs> Moving oh, forward, um, as we all know, Columbia is the best city on the planet. Mm-hmm. Um, what are you guys digging right now about Columbia this week? I checked out based off your recommendation, Wico. You're welcome. It's very fun. Got the t-shirt. Yes. Got the t-shirt. Wow. Oh my gosh. Yes. Um, it was it was a little cold outside, but mm-hmm. we were saying when it gets warmer. This seems like the perfect place for kids to run around, to have a life group, just hang out, stop in. So very excited about it. Uh, I'm a little bummed out that Wico and a lot of Lexington places are picking up with the slogan West is best. It's, but I mean, there's, there's a lot of cool things going for it. I will not agree to that slogan, but I do live there, uh, but I do agree that it's got a lot of good things going for it. So I'm actually excited. For the one that I get to throw out this week, uh, because typically when I come on the midweek and I share something that I love about our area, it's virtually always food or drink related. Mm -hmm. Virtually always, Mm -hmm. which says something to the culture of our community. We are, I don't know if I would say we're a foodie place but we're like foodie light, you know, or like foodie adjacent, you know, mm-hmm. we, 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 we like to eat and we like, you know, good drink and those sorts of things. But I digress. Uh, the shout out that I actually want to give is to a company uh, here. They're actually in Lexington, uh, but they are a nationally known company. Uh, they are incredibly successful in what they do. And yet they are so grounded to their local community and bless Genuinely, they're just a fantastic organization. And that would be Sornex Strength Equipment. Uh, Sornex is off, uh, off like Highway 6. I did ways. not see that coming. Uh, no, not at all. <laughs> uh, they are, they're a company. Their main facility is located uh, in Lexington, kind of off Highway 6 a little ways, kind of down there in the industrial park or whatever. Um, but they are producers of strength equipment. Uh, they basically... <sighs> Basically, if if you know of a NCAA or pro like football or gym facility or whatever, chances are they have their strength equipment equipment in it. They also supply a lot of like CrossFit boxes and whatnot with with their their stuff as well. But anyway, uh, the reason I wanted to throw a shout out to them is they had a yard sale on Saturday where they had basically. They had all of uh, a, bu- a bunch of their product that maybe had like a blemish or was uh, not used or returned, you know, from, you know, one of their uh, clients and whatnot. Stuff that was still in great working condition, but maybe had a scratch on it. Right. Or not maybe, perfect and or maybe like the S in Sornex came out a little crooked or something like that. You know, I mean, nothing, nothing major uh, that they were selling at discounted rates. And they were just like, hey, show up if you want it. Come on out. Come, come shop. See what we got. That's cool. Uh, literally, there were hundreds of people out at this uh yard sale uh from all over the southeast like i saw posts from people coming up from like orlando just to like come and get some discounted equipment or whatever Uh, i was there got some discounted equipment saw some other midtown people who were there getting discounted equipment and it was just super cool and the i mean the staff they were so chill so helpful it's so buff so buff, yeah. 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 No, I mean, I was like the littlest person out there uh, <laughs> that wasn't like under twelve. Uh, but uh, genuinely, they were so down to earth, uh, super helpful. It was very much like a little community. I mean, it it definitely felt like when I you know when I showed up, I was like, oh, I'm walking into a subculture right now. Like mm-hmm. I can tell we're all gym people here, you know, like mm-hmm. that that whole deal. Um, but it was still really cool. And everybody there, like it was it was fun to kind of feel that sense of camaraderie with folks. 
um, and just get to experience, you know, their their facility, which is gorgeous. Uh, and it's just really cool that man. This is a nationally known, highly respected uh, strength and uh, strength and conditioning company, I guess, uh, right here in the heart of our area. Who well, I mean was literally just blessing everybody who was local with their slightly blemished product. Um, and it was great. I loved it. I loved going out there. Loved getting to be around them. They're cool. Uh, they got a great space. It was fun. Yeah. What did you get? Uh, I got uh, some bumper plates for my home gym. Okay. Which are as I know opposed, what that is. As opposed to iron plates, which are the things you put on your barbell, right? Like yeah. they're like the forty-five pound plates mm-hmm. or whatever. Uh, the iron ones, yeah, you, know, you don't want to drop those on the floor because mm-hmm. the iron because the clanking. Yeah. Well, not. That's what they tell you, you know, at like Planet Fitness. Yeah, and that's whatever. what they tell you yeah. at Planet Fitness. Uh, yeah, I but, go there all the time. You know, it could damage your floor. Or it could damage the weight itself. Sure. Bumper plates are ones that you can drop freely, and they'll just kind of bounce, and it'll be so. They're weights. Okay. They're weights. Yeah, they are made of bumpers. Made of a rubber material. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> nice. That's it. All right. Well, week two of Greater Than, um, our new sermon series. What were some things that didn't make the final cut of the sermon? Yeah, I have a few things for us. We'll tackle the theological first, cultural, and then some personal stuff. So first one is theological. I mentioned it in the downtown sermon. When we talk about the Ten Commandments, we usually think of commandment number one, don't have any other gods before me. And I think for all of us living in the West, and we, we're not really in touch or in tune with the supernatural, that's not something we think about on a regular basis. We think, uh, okay, one God, he exists, okay, cool, moving on to the next commandment. But, and Bailey, I'm excited that you're on here because you love to talk about this. I do. It's been, it's been a while since I've engaged in a conversation about the spiritual realm. So. Yeah. We'll see, how, we'll see how fresh my, my tires are. <laughs> so when you look at the ancient Near East that the Old Testament was written around, uh, they had a very holistic view of viewing the world, that things were in the natural realm and the supernatural realm, and they both were working together. And so when God says, you will not worship any other gods, it's not because he's like low-key saying, because I'm the only one who exists. Mm. He's saying, no, because there are, in fact, other spiritual entities and spiritual powers and spiritual gods at work going on in the world that the other nations worship and receive uh, divine supernatural power from. But I'm here to tell you, of all of those things that people worship, I am the one ruler supreme, and you worship me alone. When I first encountered this, so there's a there's a book that I came across a couple years ago that will be in the show notes. Melly. Melly. We all know how to get there. <laughs> Called The Obviously. Unseen Realm by Michael Heiser. And he's a really brilliant, smart dude. Yeah, wrote this book that came out a while back. He's done a lot of research. This isn't just some like random Amazon book we found, but this dude... Uh, has done his work and has really sort of like, in terms of the evangelical scholastic world, has really made a lot of Old Testament scholars do a double take as to how we think about the Old Testament. And so he kind of works through Genesis to Revelation. Here's the theme of other gods at work in the world uh, that we see littered all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. 
and really how Yahweh is the supreme God, how Jesus is defeating demonic and other supernatural powers. And it's a really cool book. Like I don't wholesale endorse every single thing he says, but a lot of what he says is all grounded in scripture and the ancient Near East. And it's just really cool. It's added another layer towards how I read the Bible. So would highly recommend that. And we also have in the show notes, a Bible project video that he helped to write with the guys at Bible project. And it's a four minutes long, just kind of a quick summary of what do we make of other gods that are in the Bible? Bailey, anything you want to add to that? Well, you know, I mean, I think I think the thing that is so boundary breaking in in some of this is one, it's just recognizing that the worldview of the Bible is quite often very different than our worldview as 21st century Western people, uh, and that is just a very helpful thing to keep in mind. So there's a lot of things that come to my mind when I think about like um, think about this. But one is like I it, I think it is an, a helpful reminder to just recognize that we are far more the products of Enlightenment thought yeah. uh, than we even are aware of, uh, and the vast majority of humanity and human history did not think like. Western people currently think, you yeah. know what I'm saying, or they weren't they weren't the products of of the Enlightenment or or whatever it may be. And so, like, just uh, I don't, I mean, I'm not going to give us a crash course in the Enlightenment or anything like that. But you know, one of the one of the chief things uh, about the about Enlightenment thought was that uh, the natural world is really all that there is. You know, this is uh, the provable, the objective, yes, exactly. So let's focus and on to this. be fair, very helpful, mm-hmm. like very helpful, like it, it brought with it a lot of uh, uh of an ability to advance and progress as uh, as humanity, you know, in in thinking through very strictly like the tangible world and what is natural and observable and all that kind of stuff. Uh, however, at the same time, like in that, when you take just a strictly natural worldview, like obviously the unseen things, the higher realities, kind of get cut from from view. So this was some of Thomas Jefferson stuff. I don't know if you talked about that mm-hmm. in uh, the downtown sermon, but you know. Thomas Jefferson was famous for a lot of things, one of which was that he was a deist. So he believed in a God per se, but not really in anything supernatural. Uh, So, you know, his famous version of the Bible or whatever was when he cut out all the supernatural stuff from the life and teachings of Jesus and focused strictly on Jesus's moral and ethical teachings, uh, because these were the things that were observable or provable. He even got rid of the resurrection and all the miracles. And this is like, this is pure enlightenment thought right here. Uh, but again, it's not the worldview of the Bible. The worldview of the Bible is far more expansive. It is, we live in this dual reality where it is the natural or the observable world and the spiritual realm as well. And like these two things sort of overlap and coexist together. You know, this is why like the Bible talks about, you know, the presence of demons and spirits and angels and doesn't bat an eye. It doesn't feel like it's got to explain those things to us. All right, guys, hold up. Let's talk about demons. I know what you're thinking. This is just what is, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's something that is very important for us, you know, as followers of Jesus to wrestle with is just to kind of get, get sort of outside of our uh, preconceived notions about the natural order of things. So like, for example, for me, it's like, I even hate breaking things down into those two term, two terms, natural sure. and supernatural. I just think that's very unhelpful. It's like to say that one is something and the other is is not and it's like no this is just how it is like there is 
the spiritual and the unseen and there's the seen and the observable like it's just it is what it is um i even hate thinking about like jesus's resurrection as being a break from the natural order it's like no jesus's resurrection is a restoration of the natural order you know uh which is just not the way we as modern people think about it you know um so anyway, like I, that's that's where I find like Heiser's thoughts, especially, to be uh, really helpful because it's just like re- reframing, helping helping us see at times some of the preconceived notions that we come to the scriptures with uh, that need to be broken down a little bit, and just to recognize, man, there's far more going on than meets the eye. There really, really is. And now that doesn't mean, you know, like Lewis says, like it doesn't mean that there's like, you know, a demon lurking behind every bush, you know what I'm saying? Or a demon in your toaster causing you. It's like, Could it's you not imagine? That, that, that type of deal. Uh, but that there is a very present reality of uh, the world in which we live in that is occupied by more than just what we see. Um, and we do well to, to remember that as, as believers. And that's part of what we're going to talk about uh, in the series coming up with uh the world of flesh and the devil. Uh, when we're going to get back into that uh, after reboot. Easter, yeah, re- reboot because we were going to do that like a year ago, and then it got cut off because of COVID. And uh, we're going to come back and revisit because it is a helpful paradigm shift for us, uh, and we want to equip our people to be able to see what's really going on because it just helps make sense, honestly, of mm-hmm. our experience, you know. And so, um, yeah, I'm excited to, to dive in. The fact that we dismiss the supernatural or the fact that there are other supernatural spiritual beings out there, uh, that we are kind of the rare uh, phenomenon living in the secular West. In scope of human history, we're the odd ones out That's and right. we miss out on huge strokes that the Bible is painting for yeah. us That's right. of the world That's around right. us. You know, and I always go back to, who is it, Lewis? Yeah, Lewis who talks about chronological snobbery Mm -hmm. where we just have this built-in tendency to think that well the way we think obviously is the most right and everybody who preceded us well they were there they were darkened you know what i'm saying like they they just they did not have the illuminating knowledge that we have and certainly maybe some of that is true like in regards to tech but it's very snobbish to think that our worldview uh is the most pure or the most uh are the most accurate. It's like, man, we got blind spots all over the place that we don't even recognize. And a hundred years from now, people are going to be looking back on us thinking the exact same things that we think about people who came before us. And it's just like, come on guys, we got to, we, we got to uh, own up to some of the, the limited perspective and uh, disjointed worldviews that we are, are prone to have. Yeah. Melly, any thoughts on that? Elohim, spiritual realm, other gods exist. So let's, Let's talk about that, okay? A little bit. So, other gods exist. Mm-hmm. What are we saying there? Are we say, we're saying other spiritual beings? Exist. Other spiritual beings Great exist. Question. So, the word is Elohim, which is sort of a catch-all in the Hebrew Bible to refer to, sometimes refer to God, uh, our God Yahweh. Other times, it refers to other spiritual beings. Right. So, even in Exodus 20, you will have no other gods before me. It's still that same word, Elohim, that it is oftentimes used to describe the God of the Bible. So right. when we say gods, uh, if it makes us feel more if it makes us feel more comfortable to think of it as like lowercase g right. compared to God creator of all things. Well, and I think that's an important distinct distinction because especially for us with it, it, here in the West and how we think about the concept of God, like we think about 
ultimate authority figure. You know what I'm saying? We think mm-hmm. about the one who actually holds the keys to the kingdom. We think about the one who is all-powerful and omnipotent, uh, which is the same thing. Hello. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so it can be kind of disorienting to say there are other gods because that's just not that's just not how we think about it because mm-hmm. God is – there's only one God, which is exactly what God says. There's only one me. There's only one supreme authority. There's only one who is sovereignly powerful. There's only one who is truly omniscient. There's a, there's I'm the only one who is any of that. Uh, so it's just I think it's just important for us to tease that out a little bit because like when we say God's little g, like we are talking like other spiritual beings. Now those spiritual beings people do elevate, you sure, know, yeah. uh, and the cultures throughout human history have elevated and treated as though they were the supreme uh, when they are when they are actually not. And that's what commandment number one is really really getting after there. It's just like no 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 don't treat these lesser things as though they don't were prop them up. Yeah, don't give prop them, power. them up. Yeah, because they're not. You know mm-hmm. what whatsoever. Uh, I am the one who stands over and above all of them. Yeah. An illustration I heard from the Bible Project podcast, the analogy was Elohim are a, are a type of being almost, but when it comes to God, he's the head honcho. No one else can compare. And they said, likened it to, imagine there's a bunch of cats, a bunch of cats, different species. They exist <laughs> in the world. Sounds like a dream. But... <laughs> Oh, gosh. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. It's a joke. Bunch of cats, but there's one supreme lion cat that just like totally squashes every other cat that Aslan. exists out there. Aslan, if you will. And they were comparing that to Elohim and thinking of God as the supreme. It's like everyone else is just like a tiny little house cat, and he's Aslan that just squashes them all. Absolutely. Is that That's a really fun image. or violent for you? <laughs> No, I think it's fine. <laughs> Millie, you should watch The Bible Project. Yeah, apparently I have homework. There, uh, you have a lot of homework. Have you need to click homework. on show notes, number one. Number two, <laughs> you, need to, you need to check out The Bible Project. No, genuinely, they, they do a really great job of helping unpack uh, biblical themes and ideas uh, in ways that are very grabbable. You know, so sometimes when we speak of theology and you know, uh, theological ideas, like it can feel very theoretical and not, not very like uh, eh, grabbable is probably right. the best word. Uh, but they kind of bring these things down on to the bottom shelf for the rest of us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. how I like to say it. Uh, so it's really great. And they got their start by kind of just going through the Bible and giving great overviews on each of the books. Like animated um, comic books. Yeah, animated comic books to help you pick up on key themes throughout Scripture. Uh, and those are marvelously helpful, uh, in yeah. my opinion. I always, whenever I start a new book uh, of the Bible, when I read, I always check out the Bible Project video just to kind of set the stage for Absolutely. me to kind of get my mind around what's what's happening in it. So 10 of 10 would recommend. Yeah. Uh, Another theological nugget. I'll be really quick on this because there are some other things I want to get to. When you hear commandment number two, you will not make any image of me. That word image, what does it make you think of? Where else have we heard that in the Bible? Lots of places. Lots of places. places. Where do we first hear that in the Bible? In Genesis. Genesis one. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know that Mm -hmm. one? So uh, just very interesting, and there's lots of themes you can pull out from that, but God says, don't make an image of me, and yet in Genesis 1 with Adam and Eve, he creates them, and he calls them the image of God. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of cool stuff happening there, especially when God breathes his spirit to animate man. Again, we have that imagery supposed to evoke uh, what other religions did with their images. They would try to do the sacrifices, and the if 
their sacrifices were appeasing to their God, the spirit or the breath of their God would descend into the image. So that's some of the layering that's going on in Genesis one. That is very, very cool. That's really cool. So cool. Yeah. Yeah. That that's really cool uh, because it helps us view commandment two as sort of like a reversal of the created order, you know, Uh, whereas God is the one who creates uh, and molded and made his image bearers and breathed life into them. With commandment number two, when we break it, we're trying to reverse that. Instead of us being the created ones, we turn God into the created one, and we try to breathe life into it by ascribing to it by ascribing to it deity and divine attributes and all these kinds of things. And so that's that's a re- actually a really cool thought. Like yeah, I, I ha- that hadn't dawned on me until you just said that, but that is absolutely what is taking place. You know, yeah, with, with commandment number two. Well, it was all just like dork language on the page, and that's why I cut it. But then you made it more applicable by talking about the reversal. <laughs> that's wonderful. That could have preached. Oh well. <laughs> Next time, it, yeah. won't, it won't be the last time we we preach on creating counterfeit gods. Yeah, for sure. Next, I want to move on to uh, a cultural thing. Saw people share this on their social media recently. This is out of the New York Times. It's an op-ed piece called "The Empty Religions of Instagram." And how a lot of millennials uh, use Instagram more than other social media avenues. And I just want to read an excerpt from this because I believe social media and more specifically our, our screens are shaping us and forming us. And when we think about making God into our own image, I think a big component of that is how we treat our social medias and our, and our screen times. I disagree, but I also wasn't paying attention because I was looking at my screen. I knew you were. <laughs> Just <Wow>. kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> uh, but the author says this, many millennials who have turned their back on religious tradition because it isn't sufficiently diverse or inclusive have found alternative scripture online. Our new belief system is a blend of left-wing political orthodoxy, intersectional feminism, self-optimization, therapy, wellness, astrology, and Dolly Parton. <laughs> And we found a different kind of clergy, personal growth influencers, women like Miss Doyle, uh, Glennon Doyle, uh, popular writer, who offers nuns, uh, N-O-N-E-S, not N-U-N-S, who offers spiritual nuns like us permission, validation, and community on demand at a time when it's nearly impossible to share communion in person. We don't even have to put down our phones. She later says, The whole economy of Instagram is based on our thinking about ourselves, posting about ourselves, and working on ourselves. And I find myself craving the role models my age who are not only righteous crusaders, but also humble and merciful, and that I'm not finding them where I live online. Referring to the influencers who have filled the void of religious faith has left for people like me, and she said, and she quotes, I believe, a friend of hers, they might inspire you to live your best life, but not make the best use of your life. Mm. I saw that shared around. I thought really powerful, especially as we yeah. are thinking about here are the ways in which we make God into our own image. Yeah. Online presence and media, and especially when that has been nearly the only way we've connected with the outside world for the last year yeah. is how involved we are with the new cycle or the social yeah. media. It is shaping us. And how we view God. Absolutely. Well, you know, and some of what... Who wrote that article, by the way? By Lee Stein. Lee Stein. Okay. So some of, some of what she's hitting on there, and I don't think she uses this language, but it is the commodification of spirituality, essentially. It's like I, what I can do is I can sort of piece together and uh, 
get my own little like spirituality that suits me, you know, and so I can get that from the Insta followers or, you know, Instagram influencers that, that I follow. I can get that from, you know, where, wherever it may be. And I can kind of piece together, you know, my own little self-made spirituality that helps me feel, feel good or whatever. And in some respects like that, that is the same thing that, like you're saying, that takes place when we create God in our own image or in, a, in the image of another. It's like we, idol creation or counterfeit God creation really is a commodification of deification. A co- commodification of deity, yeah, <laughs> uh, of deity. Uh, it's a commodification of God, though. You know what I'm saying? It's saying to God, like, I've got, I got to turn you into a consumer product that will do for me what I want you to do for me. You know, uh, and that is just not the God that we encounter in the Bible. But it is a temptation for all of us. Do you care if I riff for a few minutes? Hey, because I, I got some riff stuff. Uh, <laughs> so, like, but I think I think what we as Americans have to understand is this is the air we breathe. The commodification of everything is is what we do. Like we see it in the way our approach is to sex. Uh, I mean, pornography is literally like the porn industry is literally the commodification of sex. But even down to like the ways we date. Like, listen, I'm, I'm not hating on anybody who does the whole online dating thing. But at some level, we've got to consider that when we are swiping left and swiping right, just based upon a person's looks, like what we are functionally doing is shopping for people. We've got to have that as at least a framework and we do it with God and we do it with church. You know, we do it with church all the time. And I, this is a, this is something that I am trying to make sure that I am thinking through well. uh, And I want to put out there for our people to help us think through well as well. That's a lot of wells right there. Uh, But it's, I am so thankful I'm so thankful for technology and what it has enabled us to do in the pandemic, to be able to still get to rub shoulders, right, with with the divine, with the spiritual practice of gathering together and singing songs to Jesus and being shaped by the hearing of God's word from our homes when we're not able to. Uh, to go out and be around people as much where we can still take the safety precautions and all of that that are, are necessary. Like I am so thankful for what technology has empowered us to do on that front. But I am also so aware that tech, that that is not a substitute for actually gathering with God's people. Mm. It is a blessing that I am so glad we've had but I have, I have seen it even in myself of, man, how easy then is it for me to turn gathering into a consumer product? Because now it's convenient. Yeah. Now it's on my terms. Now it's there when I want it. doesn't have to be there when I don't want it. And I can very quickly lose sight of the goodness of the practice of actually being with people. Uh, one, a pastor that I follow, uh, I love the way he kind of talked about this idea recently. Uh, it was just, listen, the church is not the church around a screen. The church is the church around a table, you know, like uh, around the dinner table, around the communion table or whatever it may be. Uh, and that and that is something that I really want to personally press into to make sure that I'm not commodifying spiritual life or God or church uh, and just taking it as it's convenient for me. But making sure that I realize, man, this this actually can't be commodified and there's no replacement for it uh, in, in my life. And I I worry that some of the byproduct of pandemic in the lives of 
not just our people, but uh, the church at large, might have been to turn some of these integral spiritual practices into commodities. And we don't yet, and we don't, we don't realize the impact that that's going to have down the road. There's your riff. That's a good riff. <laughs> uh, it's, it's gotten me thinking about uh, spiritual practices and formation. I came across a quote, I think it's by Sky Jathani, when he talks about spiritual formation, he says kind of the, the foundation of spiritual growth is learning to be comfortable with boredom. Wow, that's good. Yeah. Well, he was kind of the pioneer. Uh, I, I won't say pioneer because people wrote about it before him, but he was very much a pioneer in this whole idea of commodifying God and commodifying mm. spiritual life. But that's good. But say that again. Prerequisite for spiritual growth is learning to be okay with boredom. Man. So it's just gotten me thinking like, I, I want to make sure even when I teach that I'm being punchy and succinct and saying things in right. engaging ways. And at right. the same time, there's a part of me of like, I think some boredom. At church, yeah. every now and again, is good for us. You yeah, know? No, I, that's a good that's a good point. So, a guy in my life group and I, we are uh, as a part of our Lent practice, we're taking a day a week to just abstain from unnecessary tech usage, and then in the week leading up to Easter, so starting next week, we're going to take the whole week and and just not be dialed into the cloud, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but one of the things that is just so apparent to me and that he and I have been talking a lot about in it, as we've been practicing this is just how addicted we are to distraction and not, not being bored. Like literally, my phone will be in my hands, Instagram open before my mind has even registered that my phone is in my hand. Mm-hmm. That I mean, I'm I'm not making that up. Like I'm not being facetious. I'm not using hyperbole. Like literally, I don't even realize my phone is in my hand and I've got Instagram in my face. And I've just been like, whoa. Yeah. What is that? But that is how genuinely, that is how that is how uncomfortable I am with boredom. That mm-hmm. is how anti-boredom my soul is, where it's just like I gotta have every every second is filled with something. And it could be mindless something, but something. Uh and I think you're right. Like, I mean, it clips the wings on spiritual maturity. It clips the wings on growth and discipleship uh, because you got to learn to be able just to be and let God speak and exist. Yeah. There's something that we say a lot of things that you do do things to you. Did I say that right? That's right. You did, you did hey. so good. Okay. You did so good. <laughs> Thank you. But it made me think about the uh, personal liturgy sermon series yeah. that we did a long time ago and I we were filling out our member checkups this week and half of my girls were like can we put that down for our favorite sermon series still and it's like well no technically because we're asking about this past year but um, I think that word. would be a good resource for people if they are struggling with like Instagram and Man. you know I yep I co-sign that stuff <laughs> <laughs> for, in so many ways in That's so good. many I think ways the app is still there which feels funny to say yeah but- yeah. Yeah. I would love it if we can find a way at some point to leverage all of that goodness into the mm-hmm. just the routine daily life of our church family to where it's just like, listen, this is this is what we do. Like we for lack of a better way of talking about it, we practice the way of Jesus together. We follow Jesus together. And it includes all of these spiritual practices because the things we do do things to us. They do. Uh and I, I would hope we could be a, pe- uh, uh, a people who embody a way of life together that, yeah, pursues that. 
I agree. Cosign. That's a good word, Melly. <laughs> we're 45 minutes in, and I think we're going to close out now. <laughs> uh, the final cut's not going to be 45. But, so. Absolutely not. But uh, <laughs> thanks for listening, and Bailey and Jake, thanks for being here. If you guys have any questions about anything we shared today, they'll be in the show notes. Make sure you swipe. There you go. But if you're on the Spotify app like I am on your computer, <laughs> good luck. Godspeed. All right. See you next week. Bye.